listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Well, what is up, guys? It feels good to be in the attic. I've honestly never been in here, so this is great. Um, my name is Des, and I have 15 minutes, so we're going to get right into it. Um, in light of talking about my college experience tonight, I'd like to take a little poll in the room. By a show of hands, who skipped class this week? A couple people. Okay, the rest of you are either perfect students or perfect liars. Let's just be real. So I would say about 50% of the time that you are tempted to skip class, or maybe that you have skipped class, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, is probably because why? You want to sleep in, right? It's because you have trouble getting up, or you want to sleep in. I can totally relate. Not that skipping class has anything to do with my college experience. Um, but it's totally understandable because when you're laying in bed and like maybe it's cold and it's just so warm or you have your pillow and your comforter, like it's just so comfortable, right? It's hard to get out of bed sometimes or, or sometimes you oversleep because we're just so comfortable. And I want to tell you guys that during my college experience, I actually sat in my comfort, not my bed, but my comfort for about four years. And just for context, that would be like my senior year of high school and my next three years of college. It's a long time. But before I get into that, um, I thought we could connect really well and I'll tell you something really juicy about myself. Is that okay? I thought I'd tell you guys tonight about the most romantic conversation I've ever had. So girls, just picture this with me, okay? If you need to close your eyes, that's okay. So this guy and I, were like kind of talking, kind of friends, not really sure yet. And we're in his parents' like backyard. We're walking towards the backyard. It's dark out. There's twinkling stars in the sky. It's so cute. But basically, there's a middle school football field basically in his backyard. And so we're now sitting in these middle school football bleachers, just him and I. And we're going to have this like define the relationship conversation, okay? So here we are. We're about to talk about if we'll date, if we won't, if we're going to stay friends, what's going to go on. And I look at this poor kid and I say, so the last guy set the bar really high and he was short. I didn't say that. The last guy was short. He was like 5'5", five, five. Um, but I didn't actually say that to him. But I did say that the last guy really, really heightened my expectations. Like he just showed me all of these things that I really wanted. And I went on to explain, I don't know if you can meet those expectations. Can you blame a girl? Like, like I knew what I wanted, right? If I knew what I wanted, at least I said it. Like at least I verbalized it. See, what you wouldn't expect by that sweet little encouraging conversation that we had is that I would go on to date this guy for four years. See, what I would tell you before that relationship, what I wouldn't have told you, but I definitely knew in my head during that relationship, and what I've told many people since that relationship, is that although there was nothing like glaringly wrong, there wasn't any like big, big red flags with this guy, I just felt this like guilty feeling this like sense of conviction. If you don't know what conviction is, it's, it's a Christian term for basically feeling guilty. And I had that feeling inside of me about this relationship. And that, that's what I felt the whole time. And I actually, you know, when Ryan asked me to talk about my college experience, there's two things that I think about in my college experience. One of them is this convicting, guilty feeling that I felt on and off for about four years, right? Like that's a pretty defining moment to feel that. 
And then the next thing that I think about is, is what I felt as a result of that. Like I look back at my college experience and I think, okay, if the Lord really didn't want me in that relationship, or if I was really being called out of that relationship, what did I miss out on? Like what else was there for me? See, I was really involved in on-campus ministry um, and I had different opportunities to, to lead or to, to be in this internship that I was asked to be a part of. And essentially I had to say no to some of those opportunities because I was stuck in my comfort. I was in something that was so comfortable for me. And I think some of you would ask like, Des, if you knew you weren't supposed to be in this relationship, why would you stay in this relationship for four years? Well, I could look at some of you and ask you the same question about certain areas of your life. See, when you're in it, it's hard to see it. When you're sitting in your comfort, all you really know is that you're comfortable. When you're sitting in your comfort, you're not really thinking about what's, what's taking you, what's taking away from your life because of your comfort zone. But there is one thing that I do know, obviously here now, I'm not dating that guy anymore. I'm married to someone else. Um, but what I do know now is that just because you're in your comfort zone, it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Just because you're sitting in your comfort zone, it does not mean you have to stay there. And I think maybe some of you in this room can relate with my experience a little bit. And maybe it's not a romantic relationship, but maybe you're feeling comfortable in another area of your life and you're like, does that conviction that you're talking about, that guilty feeling that you are talking about, I relate, I feel that. And so maybe what you're wondering and what I wish I knew the answer to when I was in college and what we're going to discuss tonight is what happens if we step outside of our comfort zone. What's on the other side of that? Because we all know that laying in bed is so comfortable, right? We all know that like hitting snooze or sleeping in is so comfortable. What happens on the other side of our comfort? I want to look at um, Peter, which one of Jesus' BFFs, hung out with him all the time, top three BFFs. Peter and his brother Andrew actually found themselves in a pretty comfortable situation. And so I thought we'd look at one of their stories tonight to figure out how we can handle finding ourselves in comfort. So we're going to look at Matthew um, 4, 18 through 20 tonight. And the first two verses are going to read like this. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Maybe a strange request, I don't know. So clearly, Peter was in his comfort zone because he was with his brother, and he was a fisherman, and he was at work, so there's like double, double comfort right there. But I also want to let you know that back then, people's um, like jobs, like what they did for a living was kind of like our society today. Like it kind of incorporated their like identity. They, that was like their destiny, their trade, what they did to make money. Like that was who they were. Their family, everyone was associated with their jobs. And so that was what they were known for. That's all they knew. And that was so comfortable to them. And so I think, I think if Peter would have like kind of stood there and been like, I mean, I get off at 11, like you want to hang then? I don't know where you're asking me to go, but I can hang out after my shift. I think if he would have responded that way or gave any sort of hesitation, it would have been completely understandable. Like we would have totally understood if Peter like just told Jesus like, nah, maybe we can hang tomorrow. But he didn't respond that way. He responded like this. They left their nets at once and followed him. 
Guys, it says they left their nets at once. Like they didn't ask any questions. They didn't even like bring their nets with them in case they wanted to go back to be fishermen. They left their nets there. And they left and they followed Jesus. They left everything. And so I'm just wondering tonight, I think what's also so incredible is that these two men, Peter and Andrew, were the very first examples of men who left their own way to follow Jesus. You see, we, we have plenty of examples of plenty of different people who leave their own way or forsake what they know to, to be a follower of Jesus, but Peter and Andrew didn't have anyone before them. They were the first ones to do this. What I would also like to know if many of you might be wondering or were wondering about this whole conviction piece, right? Like, some of you, it might be a little confusing, or maybe you're sitting in a comfortable situation and you're like, Des, I think it's conviction. Like, I, I think it might be from the Lord, but I just don't know. Like, how do I know, or, or how do you know? Well, you see, Peter and Andrew, when they were standing in the boat, they looked at Jesus, like, physically, visually, and they heard him, like, verbally, Jesus inviting them to follow him. And see, today, we don't have Jesus physically standing here with us, but, but we believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, when Jesus left the earth, he wanted us to have a piece of him with him. He wanted us to have that, that daily guidance and counsel with us. And so we believe that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And although we can look at Peter and we can look at Andrew and we can be like, oh, that'd be so cool to just be able to look at Jesus, just be like, ask him a question or just like hear his voice. I think Peter and Andrew might look at us and say, 24-7 counsel, like 24-7 contact with like God, that's so cool. And so we believe that if you have a relationship with Jesus, that you have the access, that you have the Holy Spirit, and that's where we have that, that's where we get that conviction. Let's go back to the story. So Peter and Andrew left their nets at once and decided to follow Jesus. And if you were to read on in Matthew a couple chapters later, you would actually find out that as a result of Peter leaving behind what he knew and what was comfortable for him, as a result, Jesus would later look at Peter and tell him that he was going to entrust him and use him to build his church. I don't know if you know how big of a deal this is. This isn't like, um, we're going to start a new church on campus. We're going to call it the branch. Like, this is great. And this isn't like, we're going to build this huge building called Brownsbridge. It's not like that. It's like the church, like the Christian movement, like the one that has you and I here today. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Jesus tells Peter he's going to use him to build his church. I think that answers our question right there. What happens? What happens if we step outside of our comfort zone? I think the first thing, if we look at Peter, we can we can conclude that you are changed, that you are different. Peter went from being a fisherman to being a fish, fisher of man. He was different. His calling changed. That's the next thing that happens is, is you are not only changed, but you are rewarded with a calling that changes others. See, you need to forsake your comfort in order to run to your calling. In order for Peter to have this amazing purpose that God wanted him to live out in his life, he had to forsake his own comfort. And that's, that's our bottom line today. If you guys really walk away with anything today, this is our bottom line. It's that your comfort is keeping you from being different and from making a difference. 
And Jesus is calling you and asking you to walk away from your comfort in whatever area of your life or altogether, and he wants to use you to make a difference. And I just want to note, before we get all sorts of confused, I just want to note that not all forms of comfort are bad. I think some of you probably come to TLR each and every week and you're like, but Des, I'm comfortable in my group. Is that bad? No, that's not bad. Just because your group feels like family and just because you're able to open up and be real and vulnerable with your group, that is not bad comfort. See, not all forms of comfort are bad, but there are forms of comfort that when you start to feel that guilty feeling or when you start to feel that conviction, we need to evaluate and we need to ask some questions because I believe that that, that's God trying to pull you to something else. And I think if we were to all kind of look at Peter's life as a whole, I mean, I would say, and I think some of you would say like, Des, I think that's inspiring. Like, I think that Peter forsaking his comfort, I think that Peter stepping out in courage, stepping out in faith, leaving behind his comfort and what he knew to be used by God, to follow Jesus, to make a difference, like, that's the way I wanna live my life. I think some of you would say that. I think some of you feel that. Some of you are like getting pumped up right now in your heart because you're like, yes, let's go. But this is what I wanna ask you. What comfort in your life is holding you back from being different and from making a difference? You see, I, I don't mean to step on toes tonight, but some of you go to Athens every single weekend. And Athens is just a place, but I don't know what you do at Athens, but it might be pretty comfortable for you. And might I suggest that until you step out of your comfort zone in that area, that God can't use you to make a difference for maybe other people that are struggling in that area? Or maybe you don't go to Athens on the weekend, maybe you're a freshman and you still go home every single weekend. Might I suggest that if you don't stay on campus and, and try to branch out, that maybe there are other people that are lonely just like you. And maybe God wants to use you to be a friend and to be community to those other people. Maybe it's not where you spend your time on the weekends. Maybe you're comfortable at TLR. Maybe you've felt the, this little push inside of you to invite someone and you're like, no, he won't come, no, she won't come. Might I suggest that God wants to use you if you step out of your comfort zone to make a difference in the life of someone else? Maybe it was, it was with a relationship like me. Maybe you have a significant other and maybe you've felt that little guilty feeling and you just wanna push it off and say like, maybe you just wanna call it anxiety, but maybe it's not just anxiety, maybe it's something else. Might I suggest that other people are struggling in relationships and you can't be on the other side to speak life and truth into people's relationships until you respond to that call. And maybe it's just a friend group that you're in. Maybe you've gotten so comfortable in your friend group and might I suggest that someone out there needs you as a friend, but until you step outside of your comfort zone, God can't use you in that area to make a difference. There are lots of different areas in your life that you could be comfortable right now. It could be finances, it could be any of that. But I just wanna be real with you guys that I, I really don't want you to have to sit in your comfort for four years and then wonder what if? What if I responded sooner? What if I walked away sooner? How could God have used me in that season if I would have forsaken my comfort? 
And so Brad's going to come up here in a few minutes after Ryan again um, and give another talk. But I know some of you will go to your groups tonight and some of you will just go back to campus. But I just really want to challenge you. And I want to encourage you to be real and honest with yourself about where in your life you're comfortable and how that's holding you back from making a difference. But I also want to ask that you would give God just a few minutes of your time because I think he wants to reveal something to you. I think he wants to show you what call he has for your life. It's uh, a privilege to be here, and uh, thank you, Ryan, and I really mean that sincerely. It's so amazing to work with you. It's so incredible to see what's happening here. Um, I want to thank all you small group leaders. I love you guys, and I know you're like, I, you don't even know me. I'm like, yeah, I do know who you are, though, in the sense that you're investing your Wednesday night and sometimes time the rest of the week into these students, and I just want to say I appreciate you doing that. It's incredible. And I want to thank you students. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but most college ministries right now are not growing, and you guys have figured out somehow to grow a college ministry in the midst of a pandemic. And it's amazing to see what is happening here on Wednesday nights. We love being back in the attic. It feels really, really great to be in here. Um, but I just love that you guys are showing up and being here and being committed to your small groups. So thank you so much for being here with that. Um, I um, have so much that I want to say tonight, and I don't have much time to do that. And so when I sat down to do this, I came up with four messages, okay? And I actually was going to try to give all four of them in 15 minutes. And, um, but I'm, I'm making an audible right now, and um, we're just going to share what I really feel like is the thing that I need to be talking with you about. Before I get started, I'm going to pray. And before I do that, I just want to ask, how many of you are here for the very first time tonight? I know it's awkward, but show of hands. If you're here for the very first time, never been to the living room, I see you right there. Anybody else? Yes, back there. That's great. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Here's the deal. I want to ask um, of you, please, I want you to come back next week. I want you to come back next week. I'm going to talk about the church. And that might seem weird for you coming here the the first time, but um, I'm telling you next week is going to be awesome, and uh, come back next week, and then come back the the week after that, and I I, I promise you, if you give it three times, you're going to love this place, and it'll be a home away from home for you. So let's pray together. God, um, thank you so much for these students. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives, and um, I pray right now uh, that you would speak to us and that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your truth tonight. That I would get out of the way and that you would um, give us ears to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So here's the deal. I absolutely love college and you might not love college. And I know sometimes people say it's the best years of your life and that's not true for everybody. And I know that that's not true. I've been in college ministry long enough to know that that's not true for everybody. But for me, it really was the best years of my life and I loved it. And if you gave me the opportunity, I'd go back and do it again. And the only reason I go back and do it again, not because I want to do it over differently, although there are things I definitely would do over differently. I just love the experience of it. I went to Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and it was awesome. And I met some of the greatest friends of my entire life, and I really, really enjoyed it. And the thing that happened to me in college is I um, loved going to different ministries. And so my college experience looked like Sunday morning going to one church because I wanted to hear 
this preacher that was speaking this week. I would go to another church on Sunday night. Sorry, Baylor's a Baptist school, so you went to church twice on Sunday. And, uh, and then on Monday nights, I went to a, a Bible study that had over a thousand college students in it. A guy named Louis Giglio was the leader of this Bible study. So people didn't miss it. It was amazing. On Tuesday nights, I went to Fellowship of Christian Athletes because I wanted to be a, a part of that whole community. It was very small at Baylor, but I went faithfully because I was like, I want to be there for that. On Wednesday mornings, I had a prayer group that I attended. It was God's prayer group that I went to, which sounds crazy, but we got up early in the morning and we prayed on Wednesday mornings together. And then throughout my college experience, I was also a part of different small groups every now and then. So I just like dove in. And what I did, the thing that I got involved with was all determined by what I could get out of it, what it was going to do for me, how it was going to benefit me. And then my junior year in college, I started attending the same college ministry every Sunday evening. And I went because I loved the worship experience there and I loved the college pastor. He was amazing. He was a great teacher. He challenged us. And I knew under his leadership, it was going to cause me to grow in my relationship with God. And so I did that from my midway through my junior year all the way until I graduated. And the summer after my first senior year in college, I had one and a half senior years. Uh, the summer after my first senior year in college, I had a meeting with this college pastor. I was so excited we met at 7 a.m. in the morning and he came to my house on campus and we had cereal together in my living room. It was awkward. No other way to say it. And <laughs> it was probably Fruit Loops. I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, um, so... We're having this meeting and I'm telling him, I'm describing to him my college journey and the things that I've been involved with. Like he needed to know these things, like they were important. And when I got done sharing all of these things, he just paused and looked at me and he said, Brad, I've been watching you your entire college career and you've been riding the coattails of other ministries. When are you going to get in the game? I said, excuse me? Like, what do you mean? And he said, Brad, when are you going to get involved in something and make a difference? Des, your word was incredible. I love it. It's a great setup. Being different, getting out of the comfort zone and making a difference. And Jimmy Seibert was looking me eye to eye and say, when are you going to get out of your comfort zone? When are you going to stop sitting in the balcony, which that's where I sat in his college ministry, by myself, didn't invite any of my friends because I didn't want anyone to distract me in worship. That's how spiritual I was. Think about how that sounds. And he says, when are you going to get in the game? And because of certain circumstances, I had nine weeks of school left at the time before I graduated. And this moment was happening. I walked away from that conversation and here's what I learned about myself in it. The first thing was this, that I was a consumer. 
the consumer is me-centered. The driving question behind the consumer is, what can the church do for me? What can the church do for me? The second thing, I was critical. I was short on allegiance and quick to find fault with the church. And if I found fault with any part of it, I was like, ah, I'm not going to commit to it. And the last thing I figured out was that, that I was non-committal. I loved my independence. And I just liked the freedom to be able to go to everything. Because I thought that was the best thing for me at the time. And what is embarrassing to me and what is the reality for me is that my lack of commitment to the church cheated everyone out of God's best. I cheated myself. I cheated my church community. I cheated myself. What I mean by that is I did not discover how God had wired me. I didn't understand that God had a purpose for me and he had actually given me a gift to help build up his kingdom here, to help build up the church. We'll talk about that in a second. I, create, I, I cheated my church community in the fact that my gift was not being used in the church. I, I cheated the world, and I know that sounds kind of arrogant, but I really believe that the church is a picture of who God is. And then without using my gift to be a part of the church, then the world is missing the picture, the complete picture of who God is. So I cheated myself, I cheated my community, and I cheated the world. <clears throat> and I don't want that for you. In fact, I don't want that for your generation. In fact, it's why I do what I do today. Because that conversation changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I realized that God had an incredible plan, an incredible purpose for the church. So the first thing that I want you to do differently is that you have to see the church the way God sees the church. And that is that the church matters to God. The church matters to God. And what I mean by that is that Jesus gave up his life. He laid down his life for the church. That's how valuable the church is to God. And what that also means is that you cannot say, and people say this all the time, I love Jesus, but I'm not into the church. And I understand what they mean by that because people don't like the reputation of the church. But you cannot be critical of the church and say that I love God. Those things can't coincide. And I'm not saying you can't critique it. I definitely still do that. But I'm saying if you love Jesus, then you have to love his church because you cannot say that you love Jesus and not love his church because Jesus loves the church. So we have to see the church the way God sees the church. And then we have to know that God has a plan for every follower to be a part of it. Do you know that? That God has a plan for every follower to be a part of the church. 
What do I mean by that? Well, in, there's a, cu- a couple of passages that we're not going to talk about because we don't have the time, but I'm just going to tell you about them really quick. If you're taking notes, write this down. 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter. It's amazing. It's, a, it's all about spiritual gifts. And Paul does this incredible analogy about the human body and how the human body is made up of different parts and just in the same way that the body of Christ or the church has many different gifts and they all work together. It's incredible. First Corinthians 12. The second passage is Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And that is um, a passage about the leadership, the, 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 the gifts of leadership that were given to the church are there to equip people to build up the church. And the way they build up the church is by using their spiritual gifts. And the f- last passage we're going to look at is 1 Peter 4.10, which says this, and we're going to put this one up for you. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one. It doesn't say some. It says each one. That means if you've are a follower of Jesus, God has given you a gift. And so I want you to make the transition from being a consumer to becoming an investor. Make the transition from being a consumer, meaning going to all these different things and never really getting involved just so that you think you can get something out of it. And in this day and age, you can consume as much content as you want on the internet. And that's perfectly fine if that's what you want to do to help grow your relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I am saying to you is that you need to go somewhere and show up and say, hey, I'm here and I have something that I want to give and invest so that I can help build the kingdom here. So I can help build God's church. You know, the difference between consumers and investors is that consumers are usually in debt and investors are usually pretty wealthy. And I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about life. And I hope that you will spend the rest of your life investing in the thing that's going to last forever. And that's his church. So the bottom line The best season to discover how you are gifted and to learn how you can invest in a local church is now. Right now, there's no better time in your life for you to discover who you are and how God wired you. And there's no better time for you to figure out how you can invest in the church. You know why as a college student? One, most people don't have very high expectations for you. Just being honest, they don't. And you can go fail at it. And it's perfectly fine. But in that whole process, you can discover what you're passionate about and how God wired you. And there's no better time to do that than right now. So after my conversation with the college pastor, I walked out of there. I was incredibly convicted. And I decided to start a small group targeting Greek students at Baylor University. I grabbed four friends. I had nine weeks. We started a small group. We grew it to about 16, 18, maybe 20 by the time I got to my ninth week. And I went to England to finish my college career. And I left. And I never saw most of those people ever again. Two years later, I went back to Baylor and I got to meet with 
one of the leaders in that group, and he said, you're not going to believe what happened. After you left, we started a second group because we went from 20 to 30. And we, when we got to 30, we realized we had too many to be a small group. Y'all know how that is around here. And then he said, some of those people in both of those small groups invited their fraternity brothers and the sorority sisters to go to Mexico on a mission trip over spring break. And the crazy thing was the people that they invited didn't even know Jesus. They went to Mexico on the mission trip and they met Jesus on the mission trip and they came back. And when they got back to the campus, they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And he said, Brad, in two years since you left, we have over 250 students that are all from the Greek community at Baylor University in small groups. There are 16 small groups now from that one group. And you know what? That all happened because it was in the church. It didn't happen because I had a convicting conversation with my college pastor. It happened because the church is the institution and the organization that can sustain a movement like that. And the thing I often wonder is what would have happened if it had been my sophomore year and not my senior year? Who could we have reached? And what's the difference that we could have made? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these students. I thank you for their commitment to you. I thank you for your love and your passion for them. And God, I thank you for the way they drive down here every week to be a part of this. And I really believe that we're just beginning a movement here. And I pray that you would inspire them, that you would lead them by your spirit, that they would go all in with you to help build the church, that your gospel would go forth in this city, in this community, through these students and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.